Hello, good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Straight Talking English. I am your host, Catherine. SDR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.co.uk. You can see my videos, you can buy my books and you can listen to the back catalogue of all the podcasts and most importantly you can click the donate to the show button support the show buy me a coffee become a patreon it is really really awesome i can only recommend it All right, big news, big news from Straight Talking English. Book seven, the Frankenstein book, is with my editor. Something good has happened during COVID lockdown and apparently I felt like writing. That will be out to you very, very soon, coming up with our brand new season of Straight Talking English, the goth season, getting a bit spooky up in autumn. The other really cool thing that I really want to tell you about, so backstory, back in the day, the dark and misty time that we called 2005, through 2009. When I was a student, I presented a radio show on Radio Warwick, aka Raw, with one of my best friends, Barbara, the lady who asked me about female representation and intersectionality last week. Well, we are back. We are doing our retro student radio show for the Radio Warwick 50th anniversary party. More info to come for Retro Raw, Retro Raw at 50. But if you want to hear what I'm doing, what I sound like when I'm with my friends, I mean, obviously you are all my friends, clearly. But when I am chatting to my friends and talking about the music I like, then I heartily recommend it. I really think you should tune in. That's enough of my plugging away. Remember STR8 Talk English on Twitter if you want to tell me to just shut up occasionally. The standard intro as it is still the summer holidays at time of recording. I like to give my little brain a break, my little brain cells some time off. And I do an AMA. I collect questions from the public, from the people I love, and I answer them, no matter how strange they are. And this is a question which has literally plagued my family for generations. (laughs) I'm not even exaggerating that much. So another dark time, even darker than 2008, was the 1970s, the age of punks, the age of disco, the age when my My mother was at grammar school in South London and her English teacher endlessly, endlessly told her that Shakespeare was rubbish and Christopher Marlowe was a much, much better writer. Now, my mum didn't pursue literature beyond school and she has always wondered about this. Not enough to actually find out the answer, but she's always wondered. So the question that has plagued my family for generations coming at us today from my mum is, was Christopher Marlowe a better writer than Shakespeare? And that's a really, really good question. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a little bit about Christopher Marlowe. We're going to go over one of his most famous plays, Dr Faustus, and then we're going to see how it matches up with old Shaky. see if we can get a little bit of a conclusion. So who is this Christopher Marlowe? Marlowe Fella. He was born in Canterbury in 1564. Unlike Shaky, who attended grammar school and then basically ran off with the circus, Marlowe went to Corpus Christi College in Cambridge in 1580. He went on a scholarship and was intending to go into the church, but didn't. Much like me, with uh, back in 2008, he got his BA and then he got his MA. However, was very absent during his second year at university. Hmm, very strange. I was never ever absent, despite the fact that I worked two jobs, as I was telling my partner earlier, and I was the uh, nights I wasn't at work, I was out drinking and carousing and dancing at the rock club. But unlike Marlowe, who did not have those opportunities, we don't really know 
what he was up to. The college, however, decided to give him his degree. Strange, usually if you're absent a lot, you don't get one. Because the Queen wrote a letter to the uni saying Marlowe's a good guy and when he was away from uni, he was doing stuff in service of Her Majesty. Hmm, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, perhaps? We don't actually know what he was doing. There are these rumours of like never been substantiated because documents get lost, blah, 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 that he was actually a spy carrying letters overseas or being some kind of anti-Catholic spy, which I love the idea of like doing some casual spying. It'd probably be quite good. Not now, of course. It'd be horrible and dangerous. But in Elizabethan times, it sounds quite like a swashbuckling. He got his MA, he moved down to London, and he made some friends. His friends were thespy actor types, like you do. Again, not quite sure why he didn't go into the church, maybe he decided not to, whatever. By 1587, when he is 23 years old, his first play, Tampulane the Great, is performed. At this point, he is well known as a dramatist, as a writer, as an actor, as someone involved in theatre. People tend not to have really like specified job roles um, as they do now. So a lot of my students, uh, their parents work in telly and it's like, what does your mum do? Oh, she works in telly. And I'm like, I don't really know what that involves. Like it could be anything. But he works in the theatre. However, he only lives for about six more years. He lives in Shoreditch. Shoreditch! I've been thinking about Shoreditch a lot recently because I really want to go to a bike shed. It's an amazing biker and brunch place. He always retained this address in Shoreditch. He travelled a lot for the government. His flatmate, Thomas Kidd, was also a writer. He wrote a play called The Spanish Tragedy. However, later in court, Kidd said that Marlowe had a violent temper and a cruel heart. I mean, like I've not got on with some flatmates over the years, but I wouldn't say any of them had a violent temper and a cruel heart. I'd just say, like, tell me when you run out of washing powder. In 1589, the reason this came up, he was imprisoned in Newgate for his part in a street fight in which the son of an innkeeper was killed. One of his mates had actually killed the dude with the sword. Marlowe was not charged with murder. He was discharged on bail and was basically done as being accessory to a crime. Seems a little bit like um, Arthur Conan Doyle, AC, in like randomly just fought people like all the time. Was like, I'm bored, I'm going to get into a fight, whatever. 92, 1592. He assaulted two police constables. <laughs> Um, not police, because that wouldn't exist yet, but two local members of the constabulary in Shoreditch. They had been in fear of their lives because of Marlowe's threats. He was fined and released. Oh, my days. 1593. <laughs> I like this guy, by the way. He was in court again on charges of atheism and blasphemy. His flatmate was arrested for having in his possession what Mustalls describes as certain heretical papers denying the deity of Christ. So what is it like some Richard Dawkins type stuff? Whatever. The flatmate says they're not mine, they're Marlowe's. He is summoned to the Privy Council, the, I don't have to describe it, the government, the government office. And apparently he has to go there every day and like report in to make sure he's not doing anything heretical. However, 12 days after that judgment, he is killed in a tavern in Deptford. 
Street, which the, my source says is a dockyard adjacent to Greenwich, which is, yeah, we know that. It's just on the DLR. It's just down on the DLR. On that day, he had accepted an invitation from a man to feast at the tavern with, quote unquote, several other men of dubious reputation who had been mixed up in confidence games, swindles and spy work. After summer, Marlowe got into an argument with the host over the bill. When Marlowe struck him on the head with a dagger, he twisted round somehow and thrust the dagger back at Marlowe, striking him on the forehead and killing him. If you are going to have dinner with sketchy people who are clearly confidence tricksters and spies, then you've got to expect things to get a little bit weird. He had a very, very short career to Dan Marlowe. Four dramas, really. Tambulane, Faustus, The Jew of Malta, and Edward II. He also translated two really important classical texts, Lucan's Pharsalia and Ovid's Amores. He also wrote some poems, The Massacre of Paris and Hero and Leander. So, short career, very, very, very accomplished, somewhat of a kind of a crazy fighting dude. He sounds like the kind of guy that just like shouts about anarchy and then like calls police pigs and ends up getting like drunk and disorderly or something. I'm like, oh my days, Marlowe, chill. Right, right. Case study that we're going to stack up against a bunch of Shakespeare's today is Dr. Faustus. You might know the general story already. Man sells his soul, doesn't turn out well for him. But I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Faustus and then we're going to stack it up. Poor old Faustus is a student. He becomes dissatisfied because he is studying medicine, law, logic and theology. Like quadruple honours, really. And then he gets bored and decides to become a necromancer. He gets two magicians to help him and he tells these magicians he is going to experiment in necromancy and they need to teach him. He starts doing some uh, practice magical incantations and suddenly the ugly devil Mephistopheles appears in front of him. Faustus tells him away, saying, come back in the form of a friar. However, Faustus discovers it's not his conjuring which brings forth Mephistopheles, but instead, when anyone curses the Trinity, gosh darn you, Trinity, devils automatically appear. Faustus says, get back to heck with you, Mephistopheles. If you give me, if you sort out this bargain, sort out a deal for me, I'll get 24 years of absolute power, and then Lucifer can have my soul. He's chilling out, kind of despairing if Satan's going to get back to him on this one. And literally, a good angel and a bad angel appear on his shoulders. That's where that trope comes from. And they both say, follow my advice. Mephistopheles comes back and says, yeah, Satan's going to go for this. And they sign a contract in blood, though several omens appear saying, don't do this contract. However, Faustus regrets this pretty quick. <laughs> We've all had buyer's remorse, man. We've all bought the wrong thing off eBay. When the good angel is like, did you want to do this? To stop him going back on it, Mephistopheles and the devil appear and tell him about the seven deadly sins. If he's not suitably convinced, Mephistopheles is like, let's play some pranks on the Pope. He's like, no, 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 you got it good, mate. You got it good. We're going to sneak into the Vatican. We're going to be invisible. We're going to do some poke pope pranks they go to the german emperor's court and they're like alexander the great come on in here they make a knight grow a pair of horns out of his head he gets a magic horse that he sells to get some money but it's actually made of hay he brings four fresh grapes in the dead of winter and does these little tricks 
here's mate say go on then can you sort us out with making a girl appear and he goes helen of troy but an old man appears as well and says faustus give this stuff up and like stop selling your soul to devil but he can't do it he knows it's too late to turn away and ask for forgiveness when his mates leave the clock strikes 11 and faustus realizes he has to give up his soul within the hour bit of a cinderella vibe however as the clock marks each passing segment of time he sinks deeper and deeper into despair will he bring it back will he repent is this is is this like an it's a wonderful life scenario no it isn't life is brutal devils appear and carry him off the heck <laughs> I quite like it. I mean, I simplified that a lot because there's a lot of things that happen in there. But it's a good one. You know, like, we've got that trope. It's been in The Simpsons. It's been in, like, that movie Bedeviled... Bedazzled? Something with Brendan Fraser and Liz Hurley in it. it it's a trope. You know, man sells itself something. It's a good laugh. It's a good one. So who's better? We know our Shakespeare. We know at least the ones I've done. Hopefully you've been listening. Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, Othello. You know, some of the big names. Who is better? So David McDowell Blue is a scholar in America. He says Shakespeare's plays are full of interesting characters. Whereas Marlowe is pretty much one key player. And everyone is like kind of a prop. Okay. All right, I'll give him that, actually. I think Shaky gets that point, because if we take Romeo and Juliet, you've got these supporting characters like Mercutio and Tybalt and Benvolio. But for this one, it's like Faustus, the fantastically named Mephistopheles, and, like, some mates, and, like, that's it. Stories in Shakespeare tend to be more complicated, says David McDowell Blue, but also more interesting. There's humour and drama and all kinds of things. I mean, even in Macbeth, you're supposed to have this bit with the porter, which is supposed to be stand-up comedy. And, like, it's not actually funny, but it, it sort of would be if you're a Tudor. I've seen it done at the Globe, but they did stand-up about Trump. And like, yeah, even in Macbeth that's so bleak, there's supposed to be a funny bit. And I guess like if they're playing pranks on the Pope, that's supposed to be funny. But like, I just feel a bit sad if I did a prank on old Papa Francesco. He seems like a nice man. We can also argue, according to this scholar, that protagonists don't develop. They just stay there and the tone doesn't really change. Like Romeo and Juliet, yeah, the first half is humour, the second half is tragedy. Macbeth, he's noble Macbeth and then he peaks at evil then he gets worse then he might be redeemed and kind of the whole way through like Faustus is like despairing he doesn't really seem to have any fun with it like he plays pranks on people and he's just like despairing and like there isn't any change in the tone he also doesn't really develop in it because he's just sad the whole way through it's just a little bit of a mopar scholar also argues his plays tend to be episodic with no real narrative arc scenes are too long and some seem to be included just because they're part of the historical record even though they've got no relation to the storyline come back to that in a sec and yeah this Faustus does seem really episodic though you could argue that Romeo and Juliet falls into that as well because when it um switches back to like Friar Lawrence talking to his mate and being like why didn't you deliver the letter it seems a bit like cutscene that's always annoyed me plus um act one act three scene one and the balcony scene are really long when it comes to the rest of the play 
and like when I'm teaching it I come to that bit and I'm like all right that's a double lesson that's like a whole week on that nonsense whereas like Capulet's party bang done Faustus is a larger than life character though we do like these big bombastic you know one fantastical man Othello with his anthropophagi we do love that but again doesn't really seem like a real person Othello's got flaws and he's a bit weird but Faustus just seems just like mopey emo kid female characters as well the only girl in that really I mean like you could get the you get anyone to be played by a girl but the only part that's explicitly female is Helen of Troy and she shows up and is like hi uh I'm made to appear isn't Faustus cool and then just pings away again. When if you think of most of Shakespeare's, like Leah, you got some fantastic female parts, Midsummer Night's Dream, Tempest, where would we be without Miranda? Like, we've got these meaty roles. Though, to be fair, in Marlowe's favour, the devils and angels aren't explicitly gendered, so you could have them as girls. It's only, like, the human characters who are gendered. Some people are saying that Marlowe's poetry is much better than Shakespeare's. Shakespeare's famous for his sonnets, though, and that is kind of like, it may not be as good, but it's what he stuck his name on. Like, McDonald's might not be better than the local burger shop, but McDonald's has got the name on it, so he's created the brand. Could argue that Shakespeare was a better businessman as well. He got in on the producing and the landowning game, rather than Marlowe, who seems to have no concept for business and just went around trying to fight people. So, I mean, controversial. I honestly went into this, because I'm a bit sceptical of this whole, like, bar dollar thing of like Shakespeare is amazing Shakespeare is amazing like I think he's a good writer and I think some people did a lot of good PR for him but I believe there are stories that are just as good out there and I was in this prepared to give props to Marlowe but I'm saying Shakespeare is gonna take it I'm gonna say Shakespeare's a better writer than Marlowe however if we went into the mirror universe and Marlowe got his act together maybe got himself a little proofreader maybe like got his mates to like look after him maybe take the knives off him then he could well have produced something that was as good slash better than Shakespeare however in this universe Shakespeare takes it if anyone has a portal to another universe I can go through to compare I will totally do that but till now I am saying Shakespeare and that answers the question that has plagued my family for generations thank you very much I am Catherine your host Destigo Rate to talk English on Twitter straighttalkenglish.co.uk buy my books the full context is on Amazon we got Jekyll and Hyde Christmas Carol Sign and Four of Mice and Men and both halves of the AQA poetry. They're really, really good. And Frankenstein is coming out soon. And I hope you have a really lovely week. I have one more question to answer on poetry and then we were kicking it off with Frankenstein. See you soon.